This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. This is found on page 1020 in your pew Bible. For I received from the Lord that which, all, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the... the uh, excuse me. That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup of the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Good morning. It is good to see each one of you. If you're a guest again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We're excited about the, today. Anytime we can come together to worship God and be together as God's family and gather around the Lord's table and pour out our love and our adoration to Him, it's a good day, and the Lord has set this day aside for His people to do that, and we're thankful to be able to do that. In addition to that, we want to be able to, in an effort to fulfill the second greatest commandment, we want to preach a sermon this afternoon without even using words. We want to go out and show the community that we love one another as, as God has loved us, or as Christ has loved us, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we are the sermon day is today, and if you were in a Bible class, you're very much aware of that. As a matter of fact, the Firm Foundation class that David Burke is the elder of that class, they've already, because they had so much to do at W.A. Wright, a part of their class went and worked early part of the weekend. And then the other half of the class, as long as another class, along with another class, is going to go this afternoon. Here on this slide, you see a picture of an overgrown tree there that various teachers turned in things at these schools saying these are things that we need help with or we, we wish could be addressed. And you see this overgrown tree there and then this before and after, just like HGTV, except it's only better. It's where the sermon day. And uh, what a difference that is there. And then on the next slide, you see the area walking into the front of the school there. They have it looking beautiful. And then another beautiful shot is their group picture that uh, of half the group that was there. If you are going to work today, we want to encourage you to take pictures and send to us. Uh, we'll leave this up for just a minute. Get your phone out or jot this down real quick. We'll leave this up for a minute. Uh, we will not have a video as we've done other years this year. We'll just put together some slides to show the various works. And we might be able to get some of those together by the evening service. But definitely uh, our goal is for sure by the e-messenger tomorrow. And so if you want to send uh, to my email, it's David. Shannon at mountjuliet.org, just mtjulit.org. And then if you want to text it, text it to 615 364 2634. 364 2634. And uh, send pictures, but please put attachment with the pictures telling us what Bible class you're with and what location you're at. Uh, you're very much aware of that because you're standing there taking pictures, but we don't necessarily know that when we receive them. So please include what Bible class you're in and also where's the location that these pictures are being taken. Also, 
spur your leader on to make sure that you get some kind of group picture if you can. I know sometimes that's hard to do. There's a lot going on. Uh, but try to get some kind of group picture of your group. Also, if anybody has not committed to a work in a Bible class yet, or uh, you're looking for something this afternoon, I know you can't read that. I didn't put this up there for you to read it. That's just a snapshot of a portion of a sign up that is at information center and we need additional help to be able to cover the request that schools ask. We didn't have enough Bible classes to go around. So Sean Owens is gonna lead this group that's gonna be painting inside handrails at Elsie Patton. It'll take 10 people about an hour to do. And so if you've not signed up, if you could help, we need you. A class is not dedicated to this. Some 10 people sitting here or next service that's going to volunteer, that's who's going to do this. And so if you haven't signed up, you're not needed, maybe in a class you're in, please go by and sign up on this so that we know that it will, uh, that there will be helpers that will show up around 2 o'clock. There's a church that worships there in the mornings. And so we can't get into about 1.45 or 2 o'clock. There's info on the sign-up sheet that you need. Also, there's a need for additional painters at at the baseball field, the Little League Baseball Park down on Highway 70, the end of the road, hang a right, it's on the left. And uh, if about five or 10 of you could sign up for that, that would be a great need fulfilled on those things. If you say, well, I'm, I'm not really into painting, the teddy bear workshop will go on downstairs in the fellowship room all afternoon and there's always a great need for help there. So be aware of those things. We look forward to a great day and we truly want to give God all the glory. This isn't about, hey, look at us. This is about look at the great God we serve and we hope folks are impressed with God. Do keep us in mind as we go on a mission trip to Tanzania, Africa. Uh, we'll leave out tomorrow and we'll return back Saturday, November the 5th. Please pray for great spiritual success. The congregation of Russia is a great congregation and we want to go and just help them continue to be a shining light. We look forward to trying to be an encouragement to them and especially reaching out in an evangelistic way in the community and uh, we know that they're going to be an encouragement to us too. So be praying about that and appreciate everybody's love and support in that good work. Finally, as far as announcements this morning, the Father-Son Retreat has just been a splendid time. Here's pictures of Coble Country Store. Now, some of you have been in a country store and some of you can't imagine, but that is on the end of a little country store that the whole store is not any bigger than this section right here, and uh, Harley, and, and they have karaoke that they let the guys participate in. Also, we see a picture of the Montgomery's coming in from a nighttime four-wheeler ride. We see that Joe has taught Joseph how to catch his own fishing bait and then we see a few beautiful pictures the beauty of nature out there we see the beauty of God's design with Greg and Will and I want you to notice in Greg's hand there the holy word of God now that's a beautiful design of fatherhood and a son and, and God's holy word also we see another beautiful sight of men and of, of all ages men and boys gathering together uh, in fellowship with each other and spending a weekend together Look, there are things that have happened that probably, most likely, will stand out in the memory of these men and young men's minds as long as they live. Now, I know we sometimes throw that around as an expression. I'll, I'll never forget that. But you know, the truth is, there are a lot of things that are really important that we do forget. And this month, we've been studying about the marvelous memorial that the Lord has set aside for us. He's instituted this for us. 
because he did not want us to forget one of the most important gifts that's ever been given to us. We've been looking this year at marvels, things that God has done that is set apart. They're so distinguished that nobody else could do them. Only God could do them. And it's interesting when we think about marvelous memorials, because the idea of marvelous is there's something that's happened. God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten, his only begotten son. That's marvelous. But then he offers a memorial to us to make sure that what he has done for us is so marvelous that we would not forget it. I hope you have your Bibles open and we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. In 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, I'm going to give you a review that if you were not here last week, it might be frustrating because it will be so quick. But yet I hate to dive right in for those that were here. It really will be beneficial for all of us to realize we are picking up, if you will, in a second paragraph where really the story, if you will, begins a paragraph earlier. And that's what we covered last week. We've talked about the fact that God has given memorials, just like we as humans, we look at places around America that we visit because it reminds us of important times in our American history. Here's a picture of the four most visited memorials in the United States. They're visited anywhere individually from four to six million times a year. But yet there's a memorial that's visited tens of millions of times a year that is the Lord's Supper. When we think about this bread and this cup that the Lord offers us, it might be hard to imagine that it is possible for us to come together to partake of this Lord's Supper and it be for the worse instead of for the better. But yet that's what the Lord is pleading through Paul with the people of Corinth to say, look at the way you're taking the Lord's Supper. You have defiled it so much. It's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. And so to review this, I'd like for us, well... We are going to review. We're going to jump down to a third paragraph to review the first paragraph. I know that sounds strange, but bear with me, okay? If you have your Bible, drop down a few verses to 1 Corinthians 11 and 29. You remember we looked at this last week and we read where it is very possible to eat and drink the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And if so, he says in 30, for this reason, many are weak, and sick among you, and many sleep. And we talked about the fact that it seems appropriate that this supper that is all about our spiritual remembrance and spiritual nurturing and growth and relationship with God and even with each other, that here when he speaks in 30 about sickness and even death, it would be spiritual. In other words, it's very possible that the way in which we partake the Lord's Supper we either leave spiritually nourished and enriched. Our mind is focused and reminded of our roots and even of what is coming, the Lord's second coming. Or we partake of it in a way that is not, what he says here, a worthy manner. And it leaves us weakened, sick. And if we continue to do this week after week, we will eventually leave spiritually devastated. I beg you this morning, I, I, you know, we could give like drama-filled illustrations, but let's just hear it for simply what it says. What we do around this table 
has direct spiritual consequences in our life. I truly believe that that's what he's teaching in 29 and 30. You can, you can partake of this supper in a way that damages you spiritually or it literally helps grow you spiritually. Now that's the summary of a group that had really been defiling and harming themselves in the way they partake of the supper. So let's back up to verse 17. I'm gonna read 17 through 22 and make some brief comments. And, uh, and after I read it, we'll make a few more brief comments and then we'll go to the text that already has been capably read that we'll study today. Look what he says to the brethren in 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse, and here's the problem. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in, now, by the way, they would have said, oh yes, that's why we're here is to eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying, You've misunderstood and defiled it so much, you think you're gathering here to take the Lord's Supper, but it's not even the Lord's Supper anymore. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? <laughs> shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. He begins and ends that paragraph with saying, I can't praise you in anything. We talked about the fact that oftentimes Paul would go in and he would say something kind and then he would say, now let's offer some correction. The way they were taking the Lord's Supper, he can't even offer one thing that's kind. He can't offer one thing and say, well, at least you have this right. He says, everything you're doing with the Lord's Supper, I cannot praise you. So there's no praise there. And first we see that they were coming together for what should have been for the better, but he said it was for the worse. And we say, why? He says, first of all, there were divisions. In other words, the supper, the Lord's Supper is to be a time that we are brought together in fellowship with God. Remember, one body. And that one body is not only one with God, but it is unity oneness with each other and they didn't have that and then he says there's factions among you we talked about last week that that word deals with heresies that is a choice in other words i choose to do the wrong thing and so he says hey your divisions you're having is not sheer ignorance you are choosing to do the wrong thing and so he's calling them on the carpet so much so that as we made the comment when we were reading not only was there no praise he ends up saying there's no lord's supper being taken here and the reason why was they missed the mark they weren't waiting for others they weren't fellowshipping with each other they were not even sharing with each other some were leaving full and some were leaving hungry we don't have time to go back and review again the agape feast and all of that which was also a part of this but he gives three rhetorical statements at the end and he's bringing out that instead of praise, all that they can carry with them right now is shame. And he says, number one about their shame, do you have houses? In other words, if you don't care about others and you don't care about fellowshipping with the Lord, why didn't you stay at your house? And why didn't you do what you do at your house? We looked last week at Hebrews 10 and 24, that one of the reasons that we come and fellowship together is to stir one another up to love and good works. We have responsibility, very biblical phrase here, one another. That's why we're gonna go out in the community this afternoon. We have responsibility to one another. 
when we come together and worship, we are coming to pour out our love and adoration to God, but we still have a responsibility to one another. And so he's pointing out and he says, you're living your life as if you're on this isolated island. Why didn't you just stay at home if that's the way you're gonna live? Second, is it because you just despise the Lord's church? Are you selfish? Do you realize if we really love the Lord's church, we have to be unselfish people. But then notice that third thing, are you just out to shame the poor? Faithful Christians are a friend to the poor. No exceptions. No exceptions. Faithful Christians, friend to the poor, to the rich. There's no partiality with our God. And if we are to be a reflection of him, there's no partiality with anyone. And so he says, I don't have any praise. But what he does do in the next paragraph is he says, let me offer a simple solution to you. Now, I know you've already read the solution. It's already been read to us this morning and we've read it together. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. What if we had not read that? And all we knew was what we've just read of this paragraph of the problems in Corinth. And we said, what do you think he's going to offer as a solution? I can tell you what I would have offered as a guess. Oh, I think this is what Paul will do. I think Paul will say, well, let's start breaking down what you're doing and let's show how you're wrong. First, you, well, let's break down that division part. You should have been united talk about ways that, that you can avoid the division. Maybe you can wait on each other. Maybe you can set a set time for you to gather together so everybody shows up at the same time. Maybe you can make sure that you all sit in the same room so that you don't have a rich room and a poor room. You see, that would have been the way I would have naturally worked through it. Was said, let's just take all the problems and let's tweak them. Let's make the problem better. How do you think Paul addresses it? Paul addresses it by saying, let's just go back and see how the Lord taught us to do it. He doesn't say, let's tweak the problem. He says, let's just go back to how the Lord says to do it. Remember, I'm not, I'm not uh, applying some kind of application here. This is the words. He says, you have your own supper. That's what he said back in that earlier paragraph. They should have had the Lord's supper, but they defiled it so much. He says, it's not the Lord's anymore. It's your own supper. What do you do when you realize that somebody no longer is part of the Lord's church? They have their own way of doing church. They're not part of the Lord's worship. They have their own way to worship. They don't have the Lord's morals and standards that God sets. They have their own morals. They don't have marriage the way God designed marriage. They have it the way man has designed marriage. How do you correct those things when there's that aha moment? You know what? What I thought was right, but now I realize it's not right at all. How do you correct that? Do you just tweak what was wrong? Oh, well, if, if this church was man-made and said God made, let, let's just change some things here. Oh, if, if I'm practicing marriage and it's not the way God designed, let's just tweak some things here. It's important to notice this standard. Paul identifies the problem and then he leaves the problem behind and says, if you want to fix this, 
Let's just go back to the way Jesus taught us to do it. And that will solve any problem that you might have had. That's brilliant. If anything in your life is amiss, stop tweaking the mistakes and surrender and say, let me go back to the way the Lord says to do it. So how is it that the Lord said to do it? Look again in 23 through 26. Look where he says, for I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What do we see here? Number one, with this simple solution, we see a source of instruction. Notice how he points out, I, in verse 23, I received from the Lord. That's significant. The apostles do not write based on their opinion or based even upon simply the fact of just what they had seen. They wrote by inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspired them and they wrote what they received of the Lord. Now you remember, the other apostles could have written not only by inspiration, but they could have very well remembered what they saw. And so therefore they were writing, if you will, from memory, but to make sure it's all accurate from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But remember, Paul was converted after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. So if you want to go back and look in Galatians, we don't have a slide for this, but let me read Galatians 1 and 12. And if, if this interests you, go back and read all of this paragraph that I'm reading out in, in, in Galatians 1. In Galatians 1, verse 12, Paul was talking about his conversion. And then he says, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look, what I know now of the Christian faith, I don't know it because after I was converted, I ran to Peter or James or John and I said, hey, I'm a Christian now and I want you apostles to teach me. He says, what I know now is because after I had this miraculous experience, I had this revelation and Jesus Christ himself taught me. See, that would qualify him also to be an apostle because he saw the Lord in the resurrected form. It's just he saw it through the revelation in that miraculous way. So where did he receive this that he's about to give them? He received it to the Lord. And notice also when he says, I also delivered it to you. And then you remember back in verse 17 that we read where he said that he was giving them these instructions. You know what the word instruction means? I know you do. I know it's elementary. But if you were defining properly the word instruction, it means to yield to. I want you to imagine that a kid comes running to you. They just open up a, a Christmas present or a birthday present and they come running to you and they say, I can't make it work, I can't make it work. And so being the really smart grandmother or grandfather or father or mother or uncle or aunt that you are, you take it and you say, here, let me do this. And you work on it for like 10 or 15 minutes and finally you go back to the child and you say, hey, were there any instructions in this packaging? What, what are you saying at that moment? At that moment, you're saying, I yield my knowledge 
to what someone can give me on this. I thought I could figure this out, but it's proven I can't. And so you go back to the packaging, you find the instructions and you begin to read them and yield to them. Paul is looking at the church at Corinth that was messing up the Lord's Supper in a royal way. And he says, I'm giving you instruction and it's instruction that I receive from God. In other words, this is your opportunity to start submitting to God. Are you willing to yield to God and what's being taught? And notice when he says, I delivered it to you. We all know what a delivery is. I have, I have delivered it to you. Are you going to take it as instruction? Are you going to yield? Here is the instruction that he has offered. What is it? Notice again in 23b and 24, the first thing he talks about is the bread. And with the bread, it says they took the bread. And notice also that in the B part of 23, he says, I took the bread, but then going into the beginning of 24, he says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, notice what's happened there. He took it. He blessed it and he broke it. What's happening there? On one hand, what is happening was something that would have been a common tradition in the first century of Jewish families when they invited people around their table. They would take the food and whoever was the head of the home would hold the bread and they would bless the Lord for the bread. Now, I know I'm being really technical, specific when I say this. They weren't blessing the bread. They were blessing the Lord for the bread. The word blessing carries with it the idea of thanksgiving and praise. When we gather around this table, we're not praising the substance of the bread in the sense of, oh, here is physical bread. Let's bless it. No, the blessing is offering thanksgiving to God. And so I know this would seem a little bit strange to us, but at the same time, surely all of us could pick up on what's happened. Imagine that for lunch today, you were invited to someone's house here. And imagine the, the head of the home sat down and everybody, all of you were gathered around a table. And imagine if he took a roll and he literally held the roll and he said, let's offer thanks to God for this food. That was their tradition. They thanked God for their daily bread. Jesus was literally holding the bread and he was blessing God and he was thanking God. Now, if you want to see how strong the tradition is, you remember in Luke, the 24th chapter, the, the men on the road to Emmaus, remember their eyes were restrained that they could not, they weren't allowed to recognize Jesus for a little while. And remember he taught them about who he was as the resurrected Lord and that the Psalms and Moses all prophesied of that and the prophets prophesied of that. And then finally, you remember the evening, he was acting as if he were gonna go further and they were turning into their home. And remember they compelled him to stay. And remember he stayed and remember they sat down and then, I don't know if this seems strange to them, Jesus took the leadership role. And you remember what he says there? That he took the bread and he blessed it. He blessed the Lord and he break it. 
And that's when the Lord allowed their eyes to be open. Wait a minute, now I recognize who he is. What about when the 5,000 were fed? Remember there were five loaves there? The Lord apparently took one of those loaves and he offered a blessing. Praise God, thank God for this and broke it. And then miraculously, what a marvel. There was enough to feed 5,000. What is happening here with the Lord's Supper? It is significant. Please don't miss that. The verses we just read, only they're, they're so simple, it only takes a few verses to record it. But every phrase, every word is significant. So what, when we come and you see men hold the bread and they bless the Lord, but then the bread is distributed to everyone. Those two things show the relationship of fellowship with God and with everyone. We bless God, we share with everyone. The one who is presiding at the table is leading the congregation in thanksgiving and praise to God and sharing with everyone. Now that's significant. Notice also what happens is that then the explanation is given that this bread that is broken, notice he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Just as Jesus Christ took his body and he offered it as a sacrifice on the cross, sharing, if you will, his body, his sacrifice with all of us, we take this bread and it is broken and it is shared with all of the saints, all of the believers in Jesus Christ. And we are to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made of giving his body for all of mankind. And then those words, don't take them for granted, hear them afresh. The one presiding at the table, what is his position that he is responsible for? He's not only responsible for blessing God and making sure everyone knows that we're sharing in this together. He's responsible for reminding us what that bread is. And he's responsible to remind us, this do in remembrance of me. Think how many church buildings that inside is a table and that's written across the front. If you were making a list of significant phrases of Christianity, that would have to be a very, very high priority of a significant phrase of Christianity. This do in remembrance of me. But I'd like for you to also notice when we take the cup in verse 25, do you notice in 25 he begins by saying in the same manner? Have you ever wondered what that means beginning in the same manner? It's beginning in that same way of blessing the Lord for the cup and taking the cup and sharing it with everyone. In that same manner, this continues the supper that is the Lord's supper that we share with all that belong to the Lord. And so in 25, it's in this same manner. He also, notice he took the cup after supper. And, and the reason he says after supper there is because he's pointing to the Passover meal, the meal that had been eaten during that Passover week. That meal was completed. That's interesting to note. That Passover meal was completed. And then the Lord institutes his meal 
after that supper. But notice this, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we see him taking the cup and we see him explaining what the cup is. He's saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, it's significant that we understand what it is to be covenant people. The only way we can be in a covenant relationship with God is that his blood paid the price for the remission of our sins. Please note this. Significant point here. All four gospels mention the cup being connected to the covenant. I don't say this uh, to be negative toward anybody. Please, please don't think that. I promise you, I'm just wanting to study God's word with you. I've gathered almost every Sunday of my life, like many of you here around the table of our Lord's. It is interesting to me how rarely the covenant is ever mentioned when that's the one thing about the cup that's mentioned in all the gospels and here the first time the Lord's Supper was ever recorded in Holy Scripture here in 1 Corinthians and it's plainly stated again. Now, Matthew's account does talk about this covenant being the means by which we are forgiven of sins. So if you're thinking, oh, David's saying that, that the cup is not really about our forgiveness of sins, I'd be like, no, no, you've totally misunderstood me. Matthew makes it very clear that this blood offers us a covenant relationship with the Lord because this blood is what cleanses of our sins. Our sins separate us from God. Those sins are removed and then we are invited into a covenant relationship. Now, if you were here a few months, what I'm about to quickly go over will make much more sense. And if you weren't, maybe you might want to go back a few months ago. We spent a whole, an entire month on marvelous covenants. And some of us learned a lot. I'm speaking for myself, learned a lot about covenants. I want you to see this teaching and here is just a few thoughts that we studied at that time about not just the Lord's Supper or, or just the covenant through Jesus. We, these are some characteristics of covenants. Covenants bind people together. In other words, fellowship is oftentimes shown through covenants. See, we come and fellowship around the table because of the covenant relationship that we have with Christ. Oftentimes in covenants, gifts are, are expressed during that covenant and appreciation. Sometimes feasts are expressed. In other words, sometimes suppers are shared in. Sometimes of a personal importance, there's a giving of a hand, you know, a handshake, a sandal. I know that's strange, but a sandal is exchanged. But if the covenant is real serious, it's oftentimes through death or the sacrifice of death that that covenant comes about. And that's how the covenant of Jesus came about. And it's oftentimes an enduring covenant. And there are ways all throughout time that covenants have been remembered so that they would perpetuate from one generation to another. There've been signings, there've been monuments, and the Lord's Supper, there are memorials to remind us of covenants. And the important thing about a covenant is not only we are involved as witnesses of covenant, but if we're making a covenant with the Lord, the Lord is the witness of the covenant. Let's skip the next one since we're about out of time. Tonight, we'll come back and just make a few closing comments on this lesson and then 
uh, we'll do something that I think is a real, for me personally studying, it was a real effective close to this study. We'll, we'll end this series tonight on, on, the memori- on the marvelous memorial. And what we're going to do tonight is we're not going to necessarily try to stretch out and learn new things. Uh, we may cover a few new things in the close of this lesson. But then I want us to look at about five or six different ways that God describes the Lord's Supper. Because in those descriptions, we learn a lot about what it meant to God and what he expects it to mean to us. And so it it just seems like a good way to end in this. But on this next slide, let's, let's back up to the one that says simple instructions. If we were to take what we have just read thus far and just break down some simple truths, we see that the Lord's Supper was instituted in a way that for it to be carried out as it's recorded, that there ought to be someone presiding at the Lord's table. Because there's someone that on behalf of the group blesses it and distributes it. We see that what is blessed and distributed is the bread and the cup. We see that there's thanks being given and that it's shared. We see that there's information being shared, not just the bread and the cup, but there's information being shared. This is the body that's broken for you, or this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And there is that strong reminder to everyone involved, do this in remembrance of me. There are times that I wish everybody in this congregation could see those times where and, and like elders and ministers' meetings, I wish you could hear the heart of our leaders. I wish you could see, I know you see it on a daily basis, but I mean in a setting like that where they're all together in their desire to do God's will. And so last week, they discussed for an hour what they as leaders of this church could do to help us partake of this supper in the way that God would want us to. And they asked me to share with you that not this next Sunday, which will be the last Sunday in October, but in November and December, for those eight weeks, one of the elders or staff will preside at the Lord's table And there will be a time where the entire congregation is encouraged to remember and to instruct. And then in January and throughout the rest of next year, if the Lord allows time, there will be a a search, if you will, for men that are willing to lead the supper in that particular way. And, And... Men would be welcome to do that. They're not, they're not trying in November and December to say, this is something only elders ought to do. That's not the purpose of it at all. But since it's an immediate decision, they want to go ahead and begin with that in November. And then as you see what the one presiding will do, uh, if you're a man, you'd be invited to participate in that way. I know we've emphasized it last week and we've emphasized it again this week. But I just want to close with a reminder to you. We don't just show up 
and endure an hour or an hour and 10 minutes and we worship God the way he wants. If we're worshiping God, think about it. If we are worshiping God, we come with a mind and with a heart that is full of love and everything that we do, we are pouring that love out to God and to his people. And that's, of course, what we do in the Lord's Supper. We pour out our mind and our heart to the Lord and to his people. I don't know how long you'll be worshiping at Mount Juliet. Many of us will leave here in a moving van or in a hearse. But in one way or another, we're all going to depart from here. My hope and my prayer is that however long you're here, that because our worship is truly in spirit and in truth, we all leave here better instead of worse. This morning, we're about to sing a song of invitation that is simply encouraging anyone that needs to take a step closer to God. And if there's something we can do to help you with that, we want you to come forward and let us know that. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins this morning, we'd love to assist you with that. If you want to be restored this morning and pray forgiveness and confess sin, pray forgiveness, we'd be honored to pray with you. If we can do anything, maybe you just got a lot of questions, let us know. We truly want to take the next step closer to God. We want to leave here better than when we came. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.